Has anybody in this room ever bought a generic item and hoped it was the same as the real thing? Were you disappointed? Did it work out? Okay. Has anybody ever had that work out exactly perfect? Sometimes it's good enough. Good enough, okay. Um, we're going to talk about the difference between the real thing and just sort of acting like it today. That's what this letter to Laodicea is about in Revelation 3. But before we get into it, I need to be able to tell you just a couple of things that go on in the country of Laodicea so that when you hear it in the letter, you go, oh, that's what he's talking about, okay? So first off, Laodicea in Asia is uh, was sort of situated on a crossroads Almost a modern city sort of laid out on a grid, right, where the main cities, main streets go right through it. But they were a trade route, and Laodicea was fabulously wealthy, as all trade centers are, usually. They were so wealthy, in fact, that about 25 years before this uh, letter was written, an earthquake had hit, and, and Rome said, well, we'll send some money to help you rebuild, and they go, no, we've got it. And they just rebuilt themselves. So there, there's a little bit of, you can almost hear, we, we've got ourselves, we'll handle it. Don't, we don't need anybody else. On top of that, they had a water problem. Because they were on the middle of these crossroads and they just happened to be where they were, there wasn't any natural water source where it was. They could have got cool water from Colossae or hot medicinal water from Hierapolis. And so when you hear hot or cold, we'll talk about this more because it's rather important what Jesus is saying and what, it not, what he's not saying. Okay, so first off, wealthy but no water. Now, they had a, a trade thing that they also did where they raised a lot of black wool like so they had black sheep and they had black wool and they made these coats and they were actually called Laodicea in the ancient world and so you'd have like this black coat sort of like my black coat when I'm wearing my suit and I need to be warm I've got my black wool coat on and they're very fancy it was the thing to have you know it was the pet rock of its day if you will and then also they had uh, eye salve that they they took this rock, this special kind of rock that they had nearby, and they ground it really fine like flour, and then they would put that in your eyes to solve your eye problems. Which to us seems kind of odd, doesn't it? Don't you want somebody sprinkling some rock dust in your eye to solve your problem? That's not how it is. But But those are the things coming on. So when we read this in the letter, I want you to understand that that's what he's talking about. He's really specific to them, okay? Let's go. This is from Revelation 3.14 to the end of the chapter. Write this letter to the angel of the church in Laodicea. This is the message from the one who is the Amen. Do you remember what I said right at the beginning of Revelation, what Amen means in the book of Revelation? I just want you to substitute these words. That's the way it is. Right? Do you remember that? Just say that with me. That's the way it is. Oh, come on. That's the way it is. Okay. This is the letter from the Amen. That's the way it is. The faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's new creation. I know all the things you do, that you are neither hot nor cold. 
I wish that you were either one or the other, but since you are lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. Not technically the correct translation there. The tre- correct translation there is I will vomit you out of my mouth. It's just a little stronger. It's stronger, isn't it? Than going, it's stronger. I, I, I don't know about you, but when I vomit, it's a more violent action than when I'm just spitting something out. You say, I am rich and I have everything I want. I don't need a thing. And you don't realize that you're wretched and miserable, poor and blind and naked. So I advise you to buy gold from me, gold that is purified by the fire, and then you will be rich. Also buy white garments from me, so you will be not shamed by your nakedness, and ointment from your eyes, so you will be able to see. I correct and discipline everyone I love, so be diligent and turn from your indifference. Look, I stand at the door and knock. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come in and we will share a meal together as friends. Those who are victorious will sit with me on the throne, just as I was victorious and sat with my father on the throne. Anyone with ears to hear must listen to the Spirit and understand what he is saying to the churches. Let's take a deep breath here. Are you ready? Just grab hold. There's a few things. This, this, this has one of the most famous, well, probably the only verse that anybody in Revelation can really quote at will is, Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If you'll let me come in, then I'll eat with you. What I'm going to say right now, I just want you to be ready for this. We kind of read that as though he's getting ready to evangelize somebody that doesn't know him. And we use that for if you accept Jesus as your Savior and all that, then he'll come in and eat with you. And that's true, except for that's not what this means. This is a letter written to a church, not to unbelievers. This is a church that somewhere along the line got out of line somewhere, out of out of the path to Jesus, and they just kind of got settled in on, well, we can handle it ourselves. We got our own special clothing, and we got our own eye, and we're wealthy, and we can take care of it. We're all good. You know, Jesus is pretty good. He's nice and all, but we got it. So one thing Jesus basically isn't interested in is our mild approval. It's not an option for people that need something to go, you know, I kind of want it. So the example I have here for you this morning is I want to do this. How many of you need air? Do you mildly approve of air? So you mildly approve it. So if it's not here, how would you feel? You would feel the need for air fairly quickly, and you'd be passionate about the need for air. That's what's going on here. We, as the body of Christ, have forgotten one little thing here, is that we are a people that need a Savior. And He came and is the Savior, and just because you met Him doesn't mean you don't need Him anymore. You're never not a person in need of a Savior. You always need Jesus. So so whether you met him and you kind of got to know some stuff and you, perhaps you even memorized some verses, you're not good. 
You still need a savior. You still need to be more than mildly happy he's around. You don't got it. So here it is. You sit, you're really rich and you say, I have all that I need. It's like the town. We've lived in a town once when Mount St. Helens blew. Does anybody remember Mount St. Helens blowing? We were in a town once and they had five inches. That's what they got. The National Guard called. This is the story they tell in the town. We didn't live there at that time. They tell in the town. We had five inches. The National Guard offered to come help and we said, we got it. No, we don't need you. And they took care of themselves. But now, years later, that was their attitude about everything. We don't need no help. We got it. We are self-sufficient. In terms of salvation, I need to make sure that you know that you are not self-sufficient. You don't produce your own air, so you need air made for you, and you don't accept any substitutes. Nitrogen does not do it for you. Right? No substitutes. The real thing is what you need is oxygen. In the same way, we need the real thing about Jesus. Now to get this, this verse is also sort of said you're neither hot nor cold. And a lot of people read that saying you're not hot with the Holy Spirit or you're cold. I'd rather you'd be cold and an atheist. But that is not what this verse is talking about. Jesus, do not, do not, do not hear Jesus saying, I wish you were on fire for me, or I wish you didn't know me. That's not what he's saying. And what he's saying is, I wish that you were hot, like the hot waters of Hierapolis that had healing qualities. I wish you were hot and healing, or I wish that you were cool and refreshing, like Colossae's waters, but you're not. You neither heal nor refresh. And so in the Roman time, they had this other thing that they did. They used to have these banquets where they would have ten, nine, ten courses. Have any of you ever been to a ten-course meal? They have to keep the courses pretty small if you're going to keep all that in. But they didn't keep the courses really small. It was sort of this thing that they would did, and they would take. So they get really full on about the sixth course, and they take a big, huge drink of lukewarm water to cause one thing: get rid of to get rid of it. And they'd vomit it. And so when Jesus says, "You're neither hot nor cold; you're lukewarm," I'm going to vomit you. They knew exactly what he was talking about. And then they and then come back and eat the three courses because they had to do that, you know. To, ew. That's a technical term I just came up with on the spot for that. Ew. Let's not do that. But so when we're doing this, and Jesus says this really specifically, I need I need you to understand that what he's saying is, I know what you do, and I know that you're neither healing nor refreshing. I wish that you were one or the other. But since you're lukewarm water, neither hot nor cold, I will spew you out of my mouth. I will vomit you out of my mouth. You say, I am rich. I, I've got it. And I've got my special clothes and I'm all taken care of. And if my eyesight fails, well, I can heal myself. But you don't realize that you're wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. 
This is not just the emperor's new clothes situation here. It's the emperor's whole lifespan based on his own ability to do it is this. And all of this, so I advise you to buy gold from me. What kind of gold do you get from Jesus? Security. You get, you get treasures in heaven is what the thing is, where rust and moths don't destroy it and thieves don't break in and steal it. It's secure. I ask you to come to me and buy white garments from me so you won't be shamed by your nakedness. What is the significance of white garments? Well, they're wearing black garments. They've got their old fancy shiny black jackets, Laodicea that they wear, and they're all stylish and all this stuff. But they're not clean. Create in me a clean heart, O God. Wearing white, white, uh, and I made a big deal out of this, that white in the ancient world is extremely hard to make happen because they don't have the chemicals and they don't have the ways to do that. And also, ointment for your eyes so you will be able to see. Don't put the rock in your eyes. That just doesn't work. I correct and I discipline everyone I love, so be diligent and turn to me. Look, I stand at the door and knock. I will come in and those who will share a meal with me as friends together, those who are victorious will sit with me on my throne just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. This is what the message is saying to you, but it starts with this thing. This is the message from the amen. That's the way it is. This is the message from the way it is. A faithful and true witness to the beginning of God's new creation. There is a door image that keeps going through, and it started in yet last week when I was in Philadelphia, that the door looks like it's a missionary door, like we get to go do the work of Christ out there. But before we do that, we have to have, we have to go through the door of salvation and enter into this new creation. Now, these people, they'd accepted a substitute, which is, I get to do it all by myself. Man, we have the most comfortable pews in the Northwest, and the music is the best. We just got this. You know, Jesus, is he's pretty much just all right with me. No, you're, you're lukewarm in the wrong spot and you're paying attention to the wrong things. You got to pay attention to Jesus. And what is the faithful witness that he gave? I can do this. Let's do this. If you want to, listen on. This is from John. I just clicked on the wrong translation here. This is from John 1, 14 to 18. This is the witness of Jesus. And the word became flesh and dwelt among us, and we have seen his glory, the glory of the only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. John bore witness about him and cried, this is he who I said, he comes after me, but ranks ahead of me because he was before me. For from his fullness, we have all received grace upon grace. For the law was given through Moses and grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known to us. 
That is the witness of Jesus. Do you want to know what God's like and what God needs and how how dependent we are on him? The only way we get to know who God is is we look at Jesus and we listen to him, pay attention to what he says and who he is and what he's done for us. And we need that witness. Need that witness. And that's the way it is. You are always a people in need of a Savior, just like I'm always a preacher in need of a Savior. I need Jesus. Now, I've met Jesus. I still need him. I'm not planning. I'm not expecting. I'm actually not even hoping for a spot in time where I don't need him. I need oxygen. There will be a time that I don't need that. Jesus is more important than that. Now, I also want to make sure that you hear me say that I'm not expecting you to just be a fanatic and charge the enemy lines without thought like that. Here's the quote. Be zealous. That's what he's asking for. Zeal, not fanaticism. Do you know the difference between zeal and fanaticism? Because they kind of look the same sometimes. One of them is tempered by love. Here it is. He says, not fanatical. Fanaticism, this is from one of my um, commentaries, is an unreasoned and unintelligent wholeheartedness. Zeal is wholeheartedness born out of commitment. The commitment of a heart and mind to a person. That's what he's after. We are committed to Jesus. And we go to him for everything we need. We don't go halfway through and go, well, you know, I just kind of like my stuff better. We don't. That's that mild approval Jesus is not interested in. And it's not an option for us. So what do we do here when we hear him knocking on, on, on the door? Right? What do we do when we hear that knock? We recognize one thing, that just because we've invited him in doesn't mean we then shut the door on him. When we get to Revelation chapter 4 from here on out, it'll say right at the beginning of it, here's this door analogy again. I looked up at heaven, and what did I see? I saw a door standing open in heaven. The door to heaven is open. Is the door to your heart open too? That's the question. You might have met him, but is it still open to him? You might have come to him and said, well, I need a savior, but I don't really want the whole life thing. I don't want people to be nervous about me and be uncomfortable around me and think that I'm going to tell them something about this Jesus guy. He's your best friend. If you're willing and you're able, then open that door and then the open door to you will be just as open as the one for heaven which invites you in. Now, beyond this, what we first see in chapter 4 is starting to be visible here. The throne is central to the rest of the book of Revelation. Well, what is the throne? I need you to know this. There is a throne in the universe and God is on it. And this is what he says. This is what he says at the end of this chapter. 
To those who are victorious, they will sit with me on my throne, just as I was victorious and sat with my father on his throne. There is a throne in the universe. It is the center of everything, and worship and life and and salvation come from that throne. And we're dependent upon that throne. And we need to open the door of our hearts and minds to anyone with ears to hear. They must listen to the Spirit and understand what He says. What this is, is the invitation to enter into God's new creation, to be an agent of that new creation in the world about you. That's the way it is. Will you pray with me? Lord Jesus, this, this day, this, this love that you have poured out on us, help us know love and be dependent upon you. Help us not cast that love aside and become indifferent. In your precious name, amen.